This morning we are starting a new sermon series with the season of Lent called Seeking, asking questions that we find not only in Scripture, but questions that come up from the Scripture that we're reading each week. And we'll be asking those questions, hopefully leading ourselves to a deeper relationship with God. Today we're beginning with uh, the passage from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Matthew chapter 4, beginning with the first verse. This is found on page 785 in your pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. <clears throat> then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. When I was a young child, I had a Playtone record player in my room. My parents, over the years, had collected little 45s. You all remember those 45 records and had a box of those. And so when I was in kindergarten, I would spend hours sometimes going through their records and listening to their records. By the time I was in elementary school, those records had become cassette tapes. You all might remember cassette tapes. I had something we called a jam box in my room where we would put the tape in and listen to it. We would run to the mall, sometimes nearly every week, to buy the latest cassette tape that had come out. By the time I got into high school, those cassette tapes had graduated to CDs. You all might remember CDs. I would purchase CDs. You could have these little discs, and I would feed them into my car and CD player every time I would drive back and forth to college. You could get these notebooks, in fact, that you could put sleeve, that had sleeves, and then you could put hundreds of CDs in those uh, notebooks and carry a jukebox around with you everywhere you went. It was not until after college that digital music came along for me. With the invention of iPads and smartphones, you now could purchase songs on the internet, download them to your phone, and now instead of hundreds of songs, you had thousands of songs right there in your hand, right at your fingertips. 
I want to tell you this is the level of sophistication that I have gotten to as a music aficionado. I have been told by my two associate pastors that I am already behind the times. Apparently now there are music services like Apple Music and Spotify where you can pay some sort of subscription, a smaller fee, and you have literally millions of songs right at your fingertips. You can just request a song, and as long as you have good internet access, you can hear just about any song in the world songbook. In fact, not only can you listen to these songs, but they keep track of the songs that you have been listening to, and they gently suggest that here are some other songs you might like. They're very similar to the songs that you've been listening to. Not only that, but by keeping track of these songs, at the end of the year, they present you with your top five list. The top five songs that you have listened to throughout the year. My understanding is that Taylor Swift is at the top of most of these lists right now. And for my friends who have young children in their home, they are surprised to discover that their top five list often, often includes Disney sing-alongs and, and sleep stories because they play DJ for their children. I, for one, am happy that I don't have a top five list because it would undoubtedly prove that I am not nearly as cool as I think I am and it would prove to you that I am not nearly as reverent as you think I am. <laughs> but that, th these services prove to us, they answer the question for us, who are you listening to? Now imagine if we could do that for all the voices in our life. Not just the music we're listening to, but the voices we listen to. What if we could somehow get a survey of all the television stations we watch, the news channels we watch, the podcasts that we listen to, the celebrities that we look at online, even our friends that we listen to, our family that we listen to, and thereby those people that we don't listen to either. What if we could get a top five list of all of those voices that we listen to that influence us every single day? The voices that we go and listen to for advice and for wisdom and those that we ignore. And maybe a better question is, where would God rank on that list? Well, that's our question today. The question that we have in this first week of the season of Lent is, who are you listening to? and all the voices in the world, and all the options that you have of voices and authorities to listen to, the question we ask is, who are you listening to? I think I've told you before, Fred Rogers used to say that there are so many voices in the world, there are so much, there's so much noise in the world that we are at a point in history where we actually have to create silence, make space for silence. Maybe that's what Jesus was doing in our passage this morning, going out into the wilderness to find some silence, a few moments of solitude. He was preaching and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. We read that story every, every year around this time. But even out there in the wilderness, a voice followed Jesus out there. It was the voice of the devil, the voice of the tempter. And that voice asked Jesus one very simple question. Can you prove it? Can you prove who you are? Can you prove that you are the Son of God? The voice of the devil said, pointed to those rocks and said, If you are the Son of God, prove it. Turn those rocks into bread. 
The voice of the devil said, if you're the son of God, prove it. Go up to that high place and jump off and God will save you. And a little different question, but a similar question said, prove your allegiance to me and I'll give you everything in the world. That voice of the tempter of the devil, that voice inside Jesus' head saying, prove it. Prove who you are. Prove that you are God's beloved son. Those voices surround us every single day, whether we realize it or not. And those countless voices on our playlist, we have voices all the time telling us that we're supposed to prove it too. Prove, it, prove that we are valuable. Prove that we have meaning. Prove that we have purpose. Prove that we are worth something. In his little book, uh, Life of the Beloved, Henri Nouwen says there are lots of different voices that are constantly telling us we have to prove ourselves, prove our worth to the world. He says those voices are usually asking us one of three things. You prove yourself to the world by the work that you do and the number of awards that you've achieved. Or you prove yourself to the world by what other people are saying about you. And so we try hard to please other people. Or you prove to the world how valuable you are by the amount of stuff that you have. Well, the problem with trying to prove ourselves to all of those voices is that all of those are moving targets. No matter how much stuff we have, there's always more to have. No matter what job we have or what awards we have, there's always more to get. No matter who we please, there are also people that we can't please. And so somehow, some way, we have to decide who we're going to listen to. Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he hears those voices too saying, prove it, prove it, prove who you are, prove that you are loved and valued by God. But somehow, some way, he's able to ignore those voices, to defend himself, to not fall into temptation. Instead of dramatically proving the devil wrong, turning those stones into bread, performing great miracles, he just undramatically quotes scripture. And I have to believe it's because the voice of the tempter was not the only voice he could hear in his head. My former uh, church history professor, Catherine Gonzalez, did a little uh, a commentary on this passage years ago, and in the, her commentary she said the real central key to this passage is when and where it comes in the Bible. This passage about the temptation of Jesus appears in the Gospel of Matthew immediately after Jesus' baptism. It doesn't come before the baptism. Jesus doesn't go and have to prove himself and, and fight off the tempter. He doesn't go and perform miracles and then somehow is able to be baptized. No, his baptism happens first. Jesus goes out there to the Jordan River. He's baptized, and that booming voice from the sky says, that's my child. That's the one I love. That's the one I love right there. That's my beloved. And it's that voice that Jesus hears in his ears when the devil is trying to tempt him to prove himself to the world, to prove himself, to prove his power, to prove his worth. He hears that voice from God that says, I've already told you, you're my beloved before you could prove it. 
That's why every time we do a baptism here in our church, I remind you of that story because those same words are the words that God says to each and every one of you when you're baptized and when you wake up in the morning. You're my child. You belong to me. You're mine. I love you. Before you even have a chance to prove it. So why is it that we try so hard to prove it? The theologian Paul Tillich says it's because that voice of grace is the hardest voice for us to hear because we don't believe anything is valuable that we can't capture or we can't earn. Because we can't capture it and we can't earn it, we listen to all of those other voices that tell us we have a lot of work to do to prove it. But as Reformed Christians, we know that God's love is not something we can earn It is only something we can respond to. God's love comes first. God's voice comes first. And then we respond. And that's something I've been trying to learn for many years. Back almost 20 years ago now, believe it or not, I was ordained and the preacher at my ordination service was uh, Ray White, who also happened to be the minister who baptized me. I was pretty fortunate for that. I remember at that ordination service, he, he told this little story about a minister. We'll call him Ray, okay? Ray was working at a church and he decided he wanted to, to start a soup kitchen in his community. And so he reached out to a member of his congregation, a man named Jim Gallenbush, and he said, Jim, I, I want to start a soup kitchen and I think you're the man to help me. Well, he didn't realize it, but this was a passion of Jim's. And he said, say no more, I'll take care of it. And so Jim himself started using his own money to, to purchase the supplies that he needed to get this soup kitchen off the ground. He started reaching out to members of the church to get them to volunteer and he put the menus and the schedules together. He even reached out to other churches in the community and got them involved too. And after 18 months, this soup kitchen was now feeding some 70 people every single morning. Well, Ray said, I've got to do something to say thank you to Jim for all the work he's done. He invited Jim to lunch one day and he said, Jim, we need to celebrate you and celebrate all the things that you have done. And Jim said, no, 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 I don't need a celebration. And Ray said, no, wait a minute, we need to celebrate at least all the the money that you've donated to get this off the ground. And Jim said, no, no, I don't want anybody to know about the money I've I've donated. And he said, well, let us celebrate you because of all the, the volunteers that you've been able to coordinate. And he said, no, no, you need to thank them, not me. He said, well, let's celebrate you because you've been able to pull all these churches together, these churches that would never work together before. And he said, no, no, that was God, that wasn't me. And finally, said, Ray said, well, let's just celebrate you because, well, let's celebrate you because, well, let's just celebrate you because, because you're a child of God. Not because of all the things you've done, but because who you were on the day you were born. That was a celebration that Jim could agree to. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean we don't have work to do. We've got work to do. Jesus Christ fed a lot of people. He healed a lot of people. He performed a lot of miracles. But Jesus did not do those things to prove to the devil that God loved him. Jesus did those things to prove to the people in the world that God loved them. That's why we're called to work. It's not to prove ourselves to others. It's to prove the love of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ 
to the people in the world. That's why we feed the hungry, so that they know they have not been abandoned by God. That's why we welcome the stranger and build relationships with other people. It's not so that we can align ourselves with the right newspaper or make ourselves appreciated by the right people. It's because God needs them to know the truth that we know, that they are loved, that they are valued just because. And that's what matters. It matters what voice you are listening to. It matters who you are listening to because you see, we have this habit of repeating the voices that we listen to the most. We have this habit of echoing the voices that we listen to all the time. Some of you know Julianne has started uh, substitute teaching in Leon County. So far, she's having a good experience. But the other day, she and I were talking, brainstorming some ideas about some games that she could play during recess because uh, it was supposed to rain that day. We started thinking about a lot of different games that we played as children, and I thought about that telephone game. You remember the telephone game for when you were a child? You'd line up across the class, and there would be a person at the beginning of the line, they would think of some sort of message, and then they'd whisper it into the ear of the child next to them. And one after another, you would whisper it, whisper it, whisper it, until you got to the end of the line, and the child at the end of the line would announce the message, and Somehow, some way, there was always something lost in translation. I actually remember playing that game in second grade in Mrs. Thomas's class. It was raining on us one recess day, and we were sitting and decided to play that game. We were rotating around so that all the children had a chance to be at the beginning and at the end. And I was close to the beginning of the line. My friend Heather was right next to me, and down at the end of the line was another friend named Tasha. Heather decided this was an opportunity to play a little trick on Tasha. And so she decided her message would be, she whispered in my ear, Tasha is ugly. I wish I could tell you that I didn't pass that message on, but I was too much of a rule follower, and I probably cared more about what Heather thought of me than what Tasha thought of me, so I whispered that message in the ears next to me. And then she and I sat and watched as one by one whispers went into ears all the way down the line, waiting and anticipating for that message to get to Tasha. When it finally got there, when that child whispered in Tasha's ears, she didn't burst into tears, she didn't scowl, but instead a big, beautiful smile came across her face. Miss Thomas said, Tasha, what was the message that you heard? Tasha blushed a little bit and she said, I heard Tasha is lovely. And everybody in the class, like those 80s television shows, went, aww. And so we looked at Heather and said, Heather, is that the message that you passed on? Heather smiled and nodded yes. Well, I knew. I knew the answer. I knew it wasn't true, so I started investigating. All right, where did this message go awry? And I got to my friend, Hane, my best friend, Hane, and I said, Hane, what message did you whisper in the ears next to you? And he said, Tasha is lovely. And I said, but that's not the message. Why did you whisper those words? Hane simply replied, that's the voice I heard. And that made all the difference. See, we have a tendency to echo the voices that we listen to the most. And so today, ask yourself, 
Who are you listening to? The answer will make a big difference to the glory of God. Amen.